Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Pete Wright. And tonight, Widow has a swing around stick and Banner's got a Widow bike. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 111. The 111st minute, which begins with Tony forgetting step two and ends with Bruce arriving on an old motorbike, as Pete said. Back on the show today, Eric Deutsch is in the house. Eric, hello. Hello, hello. Glad to be back after a long hiatus. When I was last here, uh, the the Cap and Iron Man and Thor were fighting amongst each other. Now (laughs) they're fighting together. Wow. Oh, that's right. Uh, that was like the woodland fight, right? Yes. Oh, yes. oh woodland so creatures. much water yeah. under the bridge. <laughs> that's right. So much. Yes, indeed. <gasps> well, we are thrilled to have you back. We're going to be talking about uh, this minute and the next one with you. And I know, you know, as the first person picking minutes for this season, you had particular reasons for picking minutes. What specifically drew you to picking these two minutes? The main reason uh, is in tomorrow's minute. It, it's it's the I'm always angry line. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted this minute also because I wanted to lead in to the it's always angry line. Bruce arriving on the motorcycle there in the last few seconds of this minute. Anyone watching this movie knows what his arrival on that motorcycle means. And we all can't wait to see what's going to happen. Sure. So I wanted to build up to the I'm always angry line as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, I do have a question for you, a little um, less specific to uh, the characters and why you picked it, but you live in New York, right? I do. So as a New Yorker, uh, a few, I, w- I want to get your perspective on the Battle of New <laughs> is York. This, because we the airing of grievances segment of the show? No, no, I love I, this so much. <laughs> I am curious of, uh, uh, in a few perspectives. One, as it relates to the locations, do you feel like um, this is bullet? Where, you know, you can watch the Battle of New York, but there's no way you could actually piece all this together in any realistic sense. Um, or do you feel like they actually do lo- the kind of the, uh, mid-Manhattan uh, justice as far as the way that they've kind of assembled everything right here around Grand Central Terminal? I think there's a little bit of that horrible late 90s Godzilla movie thing going on here where uh, Godzilla kept conveniently not being seen because he kept running around the corners and somehow a hundred foot tall (laughs) monster was able to hide, which was completely ridiculous. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that you know, the, the, the geography of it is, you know. It's it's densely packed, the buildings and and really tall buildings, I might add, in that part of Manhattan, that um, this kind of a battle would be very difficult to happen in real life. I mean, I think that they did the best they could. I don't think it's wholly unrealistic like that Godzilla movie. Um, but, you know, so you, you got to you got to, you know, do a bit of suspension of disbelief um, when you're watching this scene as a New Yorker. But yeah, it, it, the geography, you know, I mean, if you have this gigantic space alien half ship, whatever thing flying around, I know that they show it knocking down buildings and, and, and but there is no way it's going to be able to maneuver those tight corners <laughs> mm-hmm. flying uh, around. I mean, 
cars can't take the corners that right. tight when you're driving in Manhattan. <laughs> and this is a, what, 65, 75, 85 foot long thing flying around? It sure. just sure. did a U-turn, man. I'm sure <laughs> it could do a U-turn in Manhattan. It took out half the building, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's here's my next question as it relates to New York. How I am always so curious watching a film like this coming after September 11th and where you have like things happening to buildings in in New York City. Do you feel like there is anything as this film relates to kind of that post 9-11 PTSD as like when you come into a film like this and you're seeing stuff like this happen? Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard you. uh talk about this on previous minutes this season yeah um i didn't have any of that feeling when i when i watched the movie for the first time um i do think that it is a little strange when movies these days do continue to choose new york as the city to destroy uh like it used to always be you know pre-2001 there are a lot of large cities in america that you could choose it doesn't always have to be new york but i thought that even before 2001 you know um (laughs) but you know i mean this movie you know the comic books this movie is based on the facts are 95 percent of the action in marvel comics takes place in new york city so right just to set the movie in new york city at least the first one because we you know Obviously, Ultron takes place, the main battles are in Europe, and uh, Infinity War uh, is all over the place, and Endgame's all over the place. It's okay that it's New York because of what this movie is based on. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And and to your point, yeah, there is a lot of stuff that goes on in the comics in New York. And so there's probably something that makes sense with them doing it. But yeah, it is one of those things, like for me, like somebody who doesn't live in New York, and when you see these images again projected over and over again, it's like, gosh, I mean, yeah, as you were saying, it's like, does it always need to be New York? You know? Uh, my last question just relates to kind of this franchise and, and in a, in the scope of battles that we're getting, like the Battle of New York, this is kind of our first big battle that we're getting with the team. In the scope of battles, does this feel like the epic big battle that you wanted to see in uh, an Avengers film? And do you feel like it sets us up appropriately for future big Avengers battles? Oh, yes, it did. In fact, when I first saw this movie and I walked out, my my thoughts running through my head were the last 20, 30 minutes of this movie are exactly what childhood me would have wanted from a comic. It was a comic book movie come to life that it was a comic book battle come to life. It was the sixth issue of a six issue limited series come to life. The big battle that ends all the limited series in the comics. That's that's an awesome reflection. That is actually that. That conjures up so much of my inner, like, nine-year-old. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I I definitely think that there's something about that. Like, they give all of the heroes their moments. They're all doing different things. And it allows for us to kind of craft this battle where each of them are going on their own little journeys as we go through it and kind of each doing different things. And it, it makes for something that's kind of epic and fun as we see them kind of figuring out a plan over the course of this battle. Because it's a battle that has very many different chunks. It's, you know, first, let's try to stop the Chitari, And then it's like, well, let's figure out, you know, we have to deal with Loki and the whole. And then we're then building up to kind of like the big final climactic, like stopping the missile and everything. And so it's interesting how it is in so many pieces. Right. 
we go um from oh, so the start of this minute it's it's tony and uh he is now uh leading the leviathan up park avenue um I, we cut to hawkeye and black widow fighting i don't think that it's one of those things that you really would notice because it happens so quick and again it's you know unless you actually live in new york and familiar with the area you wouldn't know that tony's just like two blocks away but it is one of those things that now that i'm very familiar with all this area i do notice like when we cut to them fighting we should like right away see tony and the leviathan just flying overhead and it's just one of those things i'm like it would be nice to have that moment there but (laughs) small thing small thing All right, so then let's hop uh, down to see what Hawkeye and Blackwood are up to. The first thing that I noticed was that Hawkeye is using his bow not necessarily just as a bow and arrow, but also as a club and his arrows as knives. And I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, what do you think the way that we're kind of seeing the fight and the way that we see Hawkeye um, kind of integrating his tools into the way that he's battling here? Well, I got two comments. Uh, One of them is is it's, it's nice to see Hawkeye and Black Widow not just holding their own, putting a beat down on these aliens, you know, the, the two unpowered Avengers are really kicking ass, you know, and that's really nice to see. Um, for Hawkeye specifically, I do have to call him out though. He's got a really nice arrow twirl there that I'm, that looks really cool. But if you're in a life and death battle with an alien, it's not efficient. You're wasting a couple of seconds to look cool with that arrow spin. I gotta say, he should have <laughs> just jammed that in right away. But don't we have the same problem with uh, Black Widow and the and the whip around stick? Like, there's so much stuff that she's doing with that thing that's just balletic and martial arty, and really, she just needs to go stabby stab on these guys. <laughs> yes, that is true too. I will say, as it comes to um, the way that Clint pulls the arrow out and then uses it to stab, the the only reason that I could figure out why he does that because it looks incredibly cool. You're right; it's a few seconds wasted. But I think it's because when he pulls the arrow out, I think it's facing the wrong way in his hand. And he has to, like, do a little baton twirl in his hand so that the point, the pointy end, is actually facing the Chitari as opposed to the other way. That's And, and otherwise, I think he'd have to backhand it into the Chitari. Oh, yeah. I, I, he, he definitely pulls it out backwards, but he gives it, like, three twirls before he slams it down. That's the problem. Yeah, He's going for some flair. It's, <laughs> it's all about the flair. Yeah. <laughs> He knows the job. It's like yeah. um, office space. You know, you got to have the flair. <laughs> if you're going to be an Avenger, you got <laughs> to bring the flair. <laughs> we also get Black Widow's bite in this minute. Um, you know, we've we've uh, seen it operate. Um, gosh, now I'm, I'm losing track of all these minutes that we're recording out of order. And I honestly can't remember at this point if we've seen it in action before or if this is our first time seeing it in action. Because we've talked about it before. I just can't remember. Regardless, Eric, Black Widow's bite. What do you think of this this tool, this technique that we have for her? I mean, it's 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 cool. You know, it gives her uh, a little bit of technology to at least enhance her. She's not entirely unpowered and relying has to rely solely on just her uh, physical skills. So I like it. You know, Hawkeye gets to have the bow and arrows. She should get to have something as well. Does it seem like she should be getting electrocuted herself when she's on <laughs> something that is <laughs> wearing we metal talk armor? About her? rubber suit she's in the rubber suit it's an insulated rubber suit yeah i mean you know it, it's shield they've got such technology they, yeah they heard her, her right. suit take care of yeah yeah she was it was literally poured on her that suit and then it's just kind of <laughs> <laughs> because of technology that's right 
I do love that her method of, of like blasting it with her bite is she just puts her fist like up to the side of the Chitari's head and blasts it. Like that's like a brain blast. Like that is that is just painful. If you have the opportunity to brain blast Andy, you take it. That's the thing. And that's actually the most frustrating thing about Black Widow's bite is that we see not enough brain blasts. I, I think even more than just as the joke, like this is an, a largely underused tool of hers, you know, given how often Thor swings his hammer around and Cap uses his shield like she she uses guns. And that's just a little bit underwhelming. Uh, so I really like it whenever she pulls out this thing and and actually starts using it. I'm finding I'm I'm my affinity with that tool is growing, and I kind of can't wait for it to be more. Well, then here's the uh, the next question as it relates to Black Widow: Would you rather have seen her using that more, her Black Widow's bite, or the staff that she ends up getting from the from the Chitari, and she she now starts blasting them with their own staff? Like, does that already start diminishing the the bite? Yeah, well, that's the problem with the bite for me, right? Is that is that it is it's that I like it. I'm conflicted because it seems wildly underpowered for what she is doing. Like it, her tool, central tool of sneaking around and electrocuting people is underpowered for a battle with an army of Chitari. That's my, I guess, that's my perspective. So you you're fine with her using the Jatari staff because yeah. it's more on their level. A hundred percent. I think it's fine for her to do that. Yeah, and I and I mean that the when we see her use it in this minute, if she has to the the one soldier she takes out, she has to do it several times. I mean it takes a few seconds yeah. for it to take out. You know, the Jatari weapon is just, you know, pew 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 right. and they're down. So it, it's it's a better weapon for the battle she's in at this exact moment. And and what we don't see in the movie is that her belt around her waist is just full of double A batteries. And so that takes some time to replace. There's a lot of battery swapping. Oh, those those things gotta use C's or D's. There's no way that's <laughs> he's, he's rocking D batteries on her belt like an eighties boom box. I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I was wondering how she does learn how to use this uh, Chitari staff so quickly, um, or if it's just like naturally intuitive. Like, uh, I mean, it looks like the tip of it glows anyway. Like, it looks like it has like an electric tip on the, the staff end that when you hit something with it, it shocks them. But then she does figure out like how to blast it. And that was the thing I was like, well, I didn't know that they, they could do that because everyone else seems to just be yeah. hitting with it. And then suddenly she's blasting with it. And so that was one of those things I'm like, oh, okay, she figured this out pretty quickly. I don't know. Maybe the Chitari, the tool is simple enough for anybody to use. Maybe it's very obvious where the buttons are. Well, the Chitari are very basic. <laughs> well, so. we're in a time where in, in, in the science fiction geek world, one of the biggest memes is somehow Palpatine has returned, right? So, <laughs> so somehow Black Widow has, you know, figured out the Jatari. Yes. I'm into that. Yeah. What do you think, Eric, in films like action sequences like this where you get like dirt on the lens? This is a moment about 15 seconds into this when when Natasha swings at one of the Chitari that it, we get dirt on the lens, which kind of gives us that sense that we're here. Do you like that sense in, in film when it like puts, does it feel like it's putting you there in the action? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, sure. It's almost like 3D without actually 
the movie actually being 3D. That's actually a good way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. We haven't really had a chance to chat with you uh, since it has been such a long time since you've been here. What do you think of the Chitari? Do you like these, the design of these characters and their use? Yeah, they're fine. I mean, I, I, I I didn't know who the as despite being an enormous comic book geek from the eighties, I didn't know who the Chitori were. So I don't know if they came in after I stopped reading comics or or anything about them. So I mean I was a bit disappointed when they announced the movie and I found out I remember there were all the rumors of, you know, is it gonna be scrolls, is it gonna be uh, Annihilus and his people? And when I found out it was this alien race called the Chitori, which I guess maybe is from Ultimate Universe, I don't really know. I was a bit disappointed that the these big aliens that they were going to be fighting someone I didn't know for the first Avengers movie. Uh, the design is fine. I think that's pretty cool. You know, they're just, they're, they're cannon fodder. You know, they obviously don't really serve much of a purpose other than just giving the Avengers this, un, you know, giant wave of foes to fight. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, largely my issue with them. Aside from the design, which always makes it kind of hard to figure out what I'm looking at with them, you know, I can tell it's a creature. Yeah, it is odd. The the sort of biomechanical combo is a little is can is a bit confusing to look at. Yeah, yeah. So that makes it a little tricky. Um, I I do think that they are um, interesting, but I do think that they end up feeling very much a device a an entire race essentially that is used just as needed when we need a large military force coming in yeah but again this andy it leads off of something that we talked about yesterday which was we need to have a foe that is easy enough for our individual six protagonists our heroes to kill a lot of easily and for them to rise above the rank and file NYPD who are running around just now trying to figure out who to take orders from. And and I think that's <laughs> one of the things that the Chitari do exceptionally well is serve that role of being easy enough, but menacing enough too. And and so I it's useful. I think maybe I'm softening on the Chitari as dumb as I think some of the biomechanical stuff is to to actually make sense of, like I struggle with. The the big worm is awesome. And I love the fact that it's sort of like what is it doing? Tethered incubating breeding chitauri inside of it it's so gross like there's some stuff to really celebrate about the chitauri and i think maybe i'm yeah i, I think they're okay yeah, yeah i mean they serve uh, their purpose i've certainly seen a lot of them now watching it in this format there's so, so many there are really so many they're really i are. mean if i if i if i really had like one real legitimate like movie making uh complaint about the chitauri it's it's a minute that is is in the future so it's not a minute beyond but just the way they are finally defeated, because we already saw that in the Phantom Menace. That's how the final battle kind of ends in the Phantom Menace. You yeah. take out the big ship, and you know, because they're not robots, they are biological organisms. I felt a bit cheated by that aspect of it. Yeah, it's very strange when that happens. When they all just drop, it's like, I, yeah, I, it's like, did a short, did it short out their brains? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's weird. It's a weird thing. So we'll get to that for sure. It's a great. You know, tie into Phantom Menace. Like you're right. It's if it weren't in such close proximity, right, that it just feels, um, it does feel a little played. Yeah, there is an extended version of the viaduct fight uh, that really is just more of watching Natasha and Clint battle all of these Chitari. And as we, uh, if you watch this 
fighting this battle sequence as it plays in the film as it is, there are moments where we're not seeing some things happen. Like suddenly Natasha has this staff in her hand where she was just, you know, blasting the guy with her uh, Black Widow's bite. And so it does kind of flesh out the overall fight a little bit to kind of give us really the full sense from beginning to end of the fight all the way up through uh, through Cap and Thor and Bruce arriving. But I don't know. I mean, we all watched it. Do you feel like they cut the fight down to exactly what we needed? Do you feel like we needed anything? Were you missing any of that? It would have been too long if they left it all in. You know, I, I think that we, we get the point from this minute. You know, we're seeing the street level Avengers hold their own, uh, adding in, it was, I mean, it was at least 30 seconds, right? Maybe even longer than that, that extended part. Oh, right? yeah. So I just I think it would have just a little bit too long. Be like, okay, they're they're punching more of them. Okay, they're shooting more of them. I thought it was. I think it would have been too long if they left it the entire length of the cut. Yeah, I I think that's really it. Like as much as it is satisfying to watch our as you say our street level heroes like kick ass. Like it's it's fun to see them actually do some damage to these guys. Uh, I I absolutely see why they cut it. They it they it's unnecessary. Yeah, and it's I mean it is a full. Uh, like a full minute, almost more than a minute of actual additional footage. So it just, it goes on too long. I feel like we get everything we need out of this tightened version. And sure, there are some uh, jump cuts as some things happen, but it's an action sequence. It's like, I don't think we need to necessarily see all of these pieces unfold exactly as it would have happened. I think it plays fine. Yeah. It is cool seeing that uh, since it's an unfinished minute, it is cool seeing the stunt people in the motion capture suit yeah. because I remember some behind the scenes photos coming out uh, when they were making the movie showing Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner filming this scene with these uh, stunt doubles uh, all in the suits. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be an epic scene, I bet. So it was. it is cool to see that. Yeah, no, very true. Very true. Well, this does take us to the arrival of Captain America. He comes swinging in um, again. He had run off uh, to go. It was when the bus, when you know, um, Clint was helping all the people off the bus, and Cap does his little tuck and roll off of the exploding car. And so it's it's been some fun stuff. And then you know, talking to the cops and everything. Um, he has come back here to help these two. I feel like they probably would have been fine without him. But again, we are kind of in this place where I feel like we need our people kind of slowly kind of coming together. And this is essentially him coming in, I guess you could say, to check on them to make sure everything's okay. And then, of course, everybody else kind of shows up. I mean, uh, the way that Cap shows up, I mean, what do you think of him um, arriving this way and in, in his part of the fight? Something I never thought of, Andy, until you just brought it up, that Cap shows up and then all the other Avengers are like, oh, team meeting. <laughs> like we're all rushing to the Central Square to have a, a, a meeting. Dad's here. Right. It's time to talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bruce is going to be here soon. Don't worry, guys. That is actually kind of funny when you put it that way, because I suppose that is exactly what happens here. Yeah. Um, you know, he's checking in and then Thor comes down. He blasts all of the rest of the Chitauri with his lightning and comes down. Weirdly, this is one of those things that I, I don't, again, I never would have thought about this until I've just done so much research in everything going on in this particular location. But when it cuts to him coming down, like Stark Tower is behind us. And he was just up there at the top of Stark Tower where he had been stabbed by his brother. Unless he had gone off to go do something else, which we never really see, 
it would have made more sense for uh, the cameraman to just turn around and have him descending <laughs> from Stark Tower where he was. I don't know why. It's just like we want him coming from the heavens. It's because the cameraman knows that Thor always takes a lap. Well, that's that's what we have learned in this movie. Is Thor is always taking laps before he lands. Yeah. Well, there will be more of that uh, come uh, a few minutes when he goes back up to the top of the Chrysler building. Uh, so just just you wait. <laughs> just you wait. Out loud. I just like the foreshadowing aspect of this. That him coming down, blasting the Chitauri, the Chitauri and then landing a nice. Uh, which they didn't know, of course, when they were making this scene, but foreshadowing his awesome arrival in Infinity War in Wakanda. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I he I think it is interesting. He definitely seems notably weakened here. I'm assuming it's from the knife wound, although we never really get a good view of his stomach, and later it doesn't seem to be bothering him that much. But are are, are you feeling like? Because I was debating about this. Like, do you feel like that is why he's weakened? And the only reason I ask is for the reason that he comes down from a different direction. I was wondering if there was also like perhaps an extended or some additional scene here that we just have never seen where he was off fighting as well. Or do you think that they're just meant it's just meant to be the knife wound? I think it's just the knife wound. Yeah, I guess it's it is just one of those weird things. And also, it's been such a long time since we actually were with Thor. Like, why did it take? Was he just up there like stitching himself? Like, I don't know. Well, you know, that's a good point. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe he has been fighting and we don't you know, we just didn't get to see yeah. it. But but the problem is the first thing he says is directly related to the beam device that it's impenetrable. Right. So it doesn't indicate like, hey, I stopped by here on the way I killed 400 Chitari. <laughs> Oh, by the way. Yeah, uh, it's right. Because even Cap's comments are all very much about like, what's he say? How, how's everything yeah. upstairs or whatever? It's where so, we just saw him. So yeah, he's yeah. taking his time is what we're saying. He's the, the least effective Avenger. He was having a drink. He saw Tony's bar and mm-hmm. said, you know what I need? A pint. Uh, they come in pints? <laughs> Sorry, wrong franchise. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about the entrance of Bruce back into the fight. Eric, first question for you. Watching this, and when, when Hulk falls from the helicarrier, and Thor falls from the helicarrier, and when we're, we see where they've landed, have you always assumed that this, this was right across uh, the bay in, in kind of the northern <laughs> shore of New Jersey there? Uh... <laughs> like, are there fields and empty warehouses there? I mean, sure. <laughs> sure there are. I In mean, this they, earth, yeah. why not? <laughs> there are. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny. As, as we're recording this, um, I only recently listened to the minutes of, you know, the helicarrier starting to go down and uh, all the jokes you guys are making about, uh, you know, uh, landing in New Jersey and, you know, crashing and, and, and uh, all that stuff. And so that's kind of fresh in my mind. And I mean, when I was watching the movie, I never really thought about, you know, where Bruce actually is. Obviously, he's not within the confines of New York City in that giant abandoned building in a giant field, you know, and yeah, of course, Thor <laughs> certainly isn't either. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the, not too far north of New York City, not too far west of the city in New Jersey. There, There's some grass and, you know, there's oh, some sure. uh, fields and things. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's legitimate. 
it's legitimate. Like you, to get there from New York City, you got to drive a ways. But falling from, say, a helicarrier. Yeah. I can imagine you landing someplace, you know, just because of geometry. Yeah, the physics, physics of it all. You know, you're right. ejected out of this fast moving thing. You know, you're on an arc at, uh, you know, an 82 degree descent, you know, traveling at an acceleration of 84 right. miles per hour, whatever, you know, you're traveling maybe 43.7 miles and right. you're landing there. Exactly. There, there you go. And there 11th you are grade in the... physics, 11th grade physics teacher. There you go. <laughs> and suddenly Thor is in a grassy knoll in a corporate park surrounded by pharmaceutical companies. That's what we're missing. <laughs> That's right. I just, I want to now though, I want to keep it in at the very southern shores of New Jersey. And what I really want to see is I want to see Bruce start riding the motorbike and then say, screw this. This is going to take too long. Turn into Hulk, pick up the motorbike and bound Jump. all the way across New Jersey yeah. <laughs> with just a few big jumps. <laughs> land there at like, you know, just on the very south end of Manhattan. Go back to Bruce and then bike up like nothing's happened. <laughs> right. Well, if you wanted to be that far deep in Jersey, if you really wanted to get there fast, then really just needs to commandeer a ferry. And he could have been in Manhattan really fast. Just <laughs> skip true. all that I-95 New Jersey tra uh, turnpike traffic. He'd be there much faster. <laughs> That's uh, true. I love it. I love it. That uh, actually does get to the thing that I think about constantly when I see this this particular minute, as many times as I've kind of watched this last few seconds of this minute, is, goodness, there is so much debris behind Bruce. How did he ride that bike through the war zone? Right. Is that not a, is that not a question I should be asking? I am just looking at cars on fire behind him. And I all I can think about is is that I don't know that that bike would have gotten from there to here to their defense. They are trying to keep this to essentially, I think they said, like basically a three block radius. So it would only be from about where Tony just kind of where the hot dog cart just got crushed a few blocks down from about that point up would it be rubble and, and destruction? So it wasn't that... I would imagine he could go probably fairly quick up to this point. And honestly, probably against the flow of traffic. Everybody else is probably fleeing. Yeah, and right. So he's it's the probably, only one coming in. Yeah, he's the only one coming in at this point. <laughs> yeah, he, he made it there the same way that... Uh, Jeff Goldblum and Chud Hirsch make it to Washington, D.C. in Independence Day. You know, outstanding. <laughs> you're right. Again, physics. Like, <laughs> you're right. I, I wanted to ask uh, you guys something. You, you mentioned about um, how, you know, they want to keep it to the three block radius. And, and right before Bruce shows up, Steve says this, this line is Loki's going to keep this fight focused on us. And that's what we need. Without him, these things could run wild. And so uh, that line. Is, is strange to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't know how Steve knows that these things will run wild without Loki. I'm not sure how he's picked that up. But also, why is Loki going to keep the fight focused on them? What is Loki's reasoning for not sending them all over New York and wreaking destruction? Why would he focus them solely on the Six Avengers? Yeah, and that's actually a great question. It's, I mean, I think he he figures that they're going to follow Loki because I think he kind of assumed that this whole, everything that's happening is under Loki's planning as far as the beam in, up to space, everything coming through. I'm assuming that knowing that Loki wants to rule, having seen it all the way from Stuttgart and forward, 
I think that he's kind of assumed that this is this is the army that Loki is going to be using to invade. And so I, I mm. didn't I guess that's how I've read that. As far as um, keeping it to this area, I mean, that's actually an interesting point. And I guess I, I don't know, I guess it, it ends up it's it's a, a point that becomes very weak when you do try to figure out how to defend it, because you can't really, because if they're killing everyone that's coming through, they're coming through fairly high. Just have them kind of, you know, fan out and then drop down and the Avengers aren't going to be able to, you know, get them all. I wonder how much of it, it that we're supposed to read from previous engagements with Loki between Loki and the Avengers is just what we've talked about before, which is hubris like that, that Loki feels uh, or at least I, I feel like we've been taught that Loki feels like the uh, Avengers are the thing that stands in the way of his rule, as you say, and maybe keeping the 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 battle focused on that allows him to, you know, have a win and know that he's getting rid of, ideally, the things that the group that can stop him um, from taking over. I feel like that's how I have to headcanon it, because, uh, you know, otherwise it does feel a little bit empty. Is that is that a fair stab? The more I think about it, like, there's probably an element of acknowledging the thing that they really want to stop is the blue beam, right? And they want to stop the Tesseract from blasting this hole into space. Yeah. If we if if he starts fanning them out and they're all over the city, while I mean, the Avengers would probably be more quick to realize we need to stop that beam. I mean, it takes them a good while in this film. Like we haven't even gotten to we're about to get to the point where they they realize that we have to do something else. We can't just keep fighting. But uh, I would imagine that if the if the chitauri were so spread out in the city i think the avengers would come together much quicker and say and focus on the tower yeah, and focus on the tower the one thing that's there ah uh, okay yeah all right I, yeah yeah phew Eric, oh man we, we dodged we a bullet we've done one we tied off one loose end right. just one. The one. Oh my god 111 minutes we finally got one shorn up all right. I don't think we have anything else for this minute. Bruce arrives. Uh, we're going to finish that uh, conversation tomorrow. Any last thoughts about anything in this minute? Or should we close up shop? Uh, I just want to say that it's a nice bit of movie making here when Bruce does arrive, that all of a sudden in the middle of this pandemonium, <laughs> it suddenly gets incredibly quiet <laughs> as he yeah. pulls in so we can easily hear this conversation. <laughs> and, Eye and of the motorbike. storm. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, that is my favorite part of this whole moment here. When when Cap is interrupted by this this very uh, puttery sound of this old motorcycle riding up to them. Very great. All right. Well, Eric, uh, you've got a few of these Movies by Minutes podcasts that are all wrapped up and closed up out there for people to listen to. Uh, tell everybody about what they are and where they should. Yes. So uh, please listen to Flash Gordon Minute, which is indeed completed. So you can listen to the whole thing out there. Escape from New York Minute, that's also completed. You can listen to that anywhere. And then still uh, done recording, but still currently being posted. So an active show that is uh, at this point about mm, almost halfway done is uh, as part of um, uh, a podcast that's called It's Time to Rewind with Bubba Wheat, uh, a co-host on covering the movie Memento one scene at a time. 
Uh, all three of these shows are available in all your favorite podcasters. Check all those out, everybody. We'll have the links in the show notes. That's it for today. We'll be back again with Eric tomorrow. So, Pete, thanks as always. Oh, tomorrow, Andy, a really fantastic uh, display of green male vulnerability. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yapo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.